If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Hallelujah. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I know, I see the clock too. All right. Does that not comfort you? All right. There the kid says, Dad, what does it mean when the preacher looks at his watch? He says, obviously nothing, son. Uh, <clears throat> Today, I'm starting um, maybe a mini-series called Attitude Adjustments, which we all love to hear about attitude adjustments, needing an attitude adjustment, right? I remember my parents talking to me about that when I was young and then saying the very same thing to my kid, and as those words are coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking, I'm my dad. I hated hearing those words, and now I'm giving those words, and, but that's just the way it is. Dictionary.com defines contentment as the state of being contented or satisfied, having an ease of mind. Today we're going to look at the attitude of contentment, and it's an extremely important attitude that we as believers must be vigilant to stay in, to have in in our lives. The Greek um, definition of contentment means sufficient for oneself. Go to Philippians chapter 4. I don't know if I already told you that. Philippians 4. Sufficient for oneself, strong enough. Or possessing enough to need no aid or support. Independent of external circumstances. That's a key one right there. It's a key definition. Independent of external circumstances. Contented with one's lot, with one's means, though the slenderest. Some of you might be in the slenderest right now. But I want to encourage you today that there's an attitude for you to take on as a believer. And that is one of contentment. We're going to look at how this happens. And contentment is all about having the right perspective. Contentment is about having a regular practice. And contentment is about having a real power. In Philippians chapter 4, we read in verse 11, the Apostle Paul speaking to us. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state. Everybody say, I have learned. All right, I have learned in whatever state I am, even if it's Texas, that lady needed to know, right? To be content. Whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned, everybody say it again, I have learned. Both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to this in the message for a moment. I love the message translation. It says, actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little, I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for your grace upon your hearers today that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ will now be upon us. I thank you for the amazing privilege I have to stand here and deliver the words of life. Your word teaches us that your words are life to those who find them and they are health to all of their flesh. So we open up our lives right now at this moment to focus on you to hear what God is saying to us because we understand that our lives are better through your word. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Everybody say a right perspective. Listen, this is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 11. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That is to have the right perspective. Paul's learned that true contentment can't be realized as long as we're depending on things going right or things going our way. There's something deeper than that, than the external things that are going around us, than the temporary, because all of these things are temporary. True contentment is an attitude that you and I have to choose, come rain or shine. Hmm? Come up or down. Come abundance or lack. Good or bad. This young man entered into college as a freshman in college and signed up for track. And his, uh, he did it to please his dad. He was not really athletic. But, um, but his dad had told him about his stories running track. And he was especially good at, uh, he was a good miler. And um, so this guy signed up for track. And his first race was a two-man race. And it just happened to be against the fastest guy in school. And the guy beat him soundly. But it didn't stop this young man. He wrote home to dad. He said, dear dad, I want you to know, I believe you'll be happy to know that I ran against Bill Williams, the fastest miler in school today. He came in next to last while I came in second. (laughs) When you are in the state of contentment, You view situations in life in a whole different way. A right perspective is so important, especially when facing life's challenges. Mm -hmm. Contentment causes you to see things the way God sees them. And that's not easy to do when you're faced with so many things, when you're experiencing so much. To see things the way God sees them. But contentment keeps you in this attitude, this place where you can think right. Where you can think right and therefore if you can think right, then you can choose right. And then if you can choose right, then you can live right. All right? So all this process as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Because the thinking leads to your decision making. And we all know that as we say here today, where we've come to in life is the sum total of the choices that we've made. For the most part. Now, that might not encourage you today. Right? You might not like where you are today, but let me help you today. You can make some new decisions today. That will take you to a better reality. All right? That's the beauty of having the power of choice. There was a psychologist back in 1896. He pinned out his, his findings on this experiment that he did. His name was George Stratton. And George Stratton uh, was studying the interaction between the brain and the eyes. And um, when the way that the image is on the retina of the eye, it is upside down. As a matter of fact, they believe that when newborns come into the world, that they actually see things upside down. And then the brain actually inverts that image to being right side up. So he, after doing some studies, constructed this pair of glasses. When we would put them on, everything would flip upside down. And he was trying to see if his brain would make up for it, if it would flip the image for him over time. And sure enough, he wore these things for eight days. The first four days, he got 
bruised up shins, and he ran into stuff because the whole world was upside down. But day five, something started to happen. The image started to change. And, and, but even as it would change, even as the brain was trying to make up for uh, what he was seeing and try to invert that image to right, he, he, if he thought about it, if he thought about what was really going on, then it would go back upside down. But by day eight, he could function with those glasses walk around and live his life until he took them off finally after eight days and then everything was upside down. But it only took about a day then for that vision then to correct back to normal. Now, if you're discontented, then your whole rationale is then skewed. And it's difficult for you to know what's right if you can't see what's right. To experience what's right, if you, can't, if you don't have the right perspective, then everything that, that is backwards will, will begin to make sense to you if you're discontented. And, and, and that's what the scripture talk, talks about calling good evil and, and evil good. It, uh, this is an age-old lie from the very beginning. I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment. God created man in his own image. Right? Remember that? In Genesis 1, 26, he says, Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. And no other creature on the earth looks like us. We're the only creatures on earth that look like God. That's beautiful. Amen. Made us in his image. And then he blessed Adam and Eve, and he told them, Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion. Everything is yours. This is all yours. Fill this place up. Tend the garden. Expand this place. I just need one thing. I'm just asking for one tree. You get the entire planet. I get one tree. And he did that so that man would choose his way of living. And that way, the law of free choice was in place. All right? Don't eat that tree. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. All right? Now, there was the serpent in the garden. And over time, he was looking for an opportune time, and time came in Genesis chapter 3. And he approaches Eve. He doesn't approach Adam. He approaches Eve. And listen to what he says in verse 5 to her. For God knows that in the day, and he's talking about the tree that they were forbidden to eat of. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your what? Eyes will be opened. That is, you'll have a new perspective. Your eyes will be opened. Listen to what he says. And you will be like God. Now, Eve should have said at that moment, too late, I'm already like God. Right? You're not telling me anything. You'll be like God. I already were. Knowing good and evil, he says. Now look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree, the woman did what? Saw that the tree was good for food. But was the tree good for food? No. But when she saw it, she heard the words. See, the devil made her believe that what she had wasn't sufficient enough. That she was still lacking something. That she was not to be content with her present circumstances. There was something lacking and she needed that fruit to fulfill. And so she did. She got discontented with her circumstances, and her perspective changed. And that which was evil then looked good to her. That which was wrong then looked right to her. Hmm? Paul says, what, 
I have learned where whatever state I'm in, I'm going to be content. Because listen, our lives are depending on the right perspective. Hebrews says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What great words. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Right? We get into a situation. We find ourselves in trouble. That's the moment where we say, I am going to call upon the Lord who is my helper. He's with me. God is my helper. Then, then what, what are these circumstances? What is man? What can they do to me? Right? The situation many times may warrant you to freak out, to lose it, but contentment keeps you understanding that God is on your side. No matter where you find yourself. Amen. And a right perspective changes everything. So make the adjustment. Learn, as Paul says, I learned to be content no matter what. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 12 in Hebrews, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Um, where are we? Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know, look what he says, I know, how to, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. This is about having a regular practice of contentment. Right? I know how to do all of that and keep the right perspective and keep the right attitude. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul writing this letter, he's not sitting on some beach, sipping on some drink with an umbrella in it, looking out over the ocean saying, man, life is good, right? He's not sitting on the summit of some mountain that he has just conquered and under the inspiration of all of that experience, pinning these words, hey, wherever you go, be content. Paul is writing this chained in prison. Now, how in the world can a man say these kinds of words chained and in prison when all he is doing, all he is physically, is limited in what he can do? He has a call from God. And Jesus told him, I want you to go. You will be a light to the Gentiles. So now here Paul is sitting in prison, chained to the floor. How can he seriously, effectively be a light to the Gentiles? How does that happen? He's on this mission, and Paul doesn't want to be in prison. We don't ever read any scripture where Paul says, I'm really glad I'm all chained up. Right? He's always talking about being delivered from that place. Right? Because he's got his mission burning in him, and he understands he can do a whole lot more outside of a jail cell than he can inside of a jail cell. But listen. Listen what an opportunity. Listen, an attitude of being content opens up opportunities. And instead of passing his time in jail, being ticked off, growing bitter over the circumstances, blaming God, victimizing himself, feeling sorry for himself, he uses this time and situation as an opportunity. I want you to look at Philippians 1. Let's go back a few verses, a couple chapters here. Look what he says in Philippians 1. In verse 12, this is really powerful. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow, how in the world did that happen? I went to jail and the gospel went further. Now look at this, verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. Oh, wow, that's how. All the guards. All the guards are hearing the gospel. And to all the rest, all the prisoners, 
that my chains are in Christ, and it even gets better. Look at verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Wow. So this has lit up a fire under all my preacher buddies, and they're preaching harder and louder and more bold than they ever have before. These chains right here, how in the world? Because when they came and saw Paul, they didn't see Paul sitting in the jail cell going, I don't know what the Lord's trying to do right now. I don't know what he's trying to teach me, but I wish he'd hurry up and get the lesson taught so I could get out of here and go on with my mission in life. I don't know what the Lord's trying to show me. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what happened. Why is all this happening to me? Hmm? They show up there and they see Paul. He's like, ah, man, I'm glad you got here. Look at this. Look, look at what the gospel has, look where it's brought me. I'm being chained for preaching the gospel. What better punishment is there? Hallelujah. I'm being persecuted for preaching the gospel of Christ. How liberating is that? These guys are like, whoa, 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 what? How awesome is that? Guys, you got to take this message. And they, they lit him up. He lit him up. He had Timothy coming and seeing him. And don't you know he was training Timothy right there how to preach the word of God. And Epaphroditus. And then he put a letter in their hands to take to this church right here that we call Scripture today. I just don't think at that moment Paul even understood the magnitude of this opportunity that was afforded him sitting in a prison cell with chains on him. How could he have known that what he was writing was inspired Scripture by God Almighty? That 2,000 years later, there would be a church in McKinney, Texas called One Cause Church still reading his letter and being changed by it, by the power of, by the word of God that's there. It's amazing. But those opportunities that look like limiting opportunities, limiting situations could be absolutely your greatest opportunity because the greatest thing Paul ever did among all of his ministry, church planning, all that, was he wrote Scripture. And it has been passed down from generation to generation to generation from a man who was bound in chains sitting in a prison cell. Wherever, whatever, I know how to do it all through contentment. Back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was this young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. And uh, he answered an ad in the paper, and he went to the address that was listed, and when he walked in, he entered a large, noisy office, and in the background there was telegraph clacking away. A sign on the receptionist counter and instructed the job applicants to fill out a form and then be seated until they were summoned to the inner office for their interview. After he filled out the form, he went and sat down and noticed there were seven other applicants sitting there. And just a few minutes later, the young man stood up and boldly walked to the inner office door, opened it up, and went inside. The other applicants looked at each other thinking, what in the world is this guy doing? Who does he think he is to just so boldly go in there? And they expected any minute that he would be reprimanded for his actions and be brought out by the interviewer and kicked out in the street. However, to their surprise, both the young man and the interviewer both walked out of the office and the interviewer made an announcement to everyone. He says, thank you all for making your applications today. There's no need. I've given this young man the job. And so they all were murmuring amongst themselves, saying, well, what in the world? Finally, one of them spoke up and said, sir, we haven't even had the chance to interview. He came in last. What the heck's going on here? This isn't fair. 
And the man said, well, all the time that you were sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking in the background, and it's been ticking out a message in Morse code. Simply saying, if you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it, understood it so this young man did, and so the job is his. See, what contentment does, it taps you into that still, small voice, see? It quietens the mind, and it opens the ears to hear and not be rattled by the noise that's going on around here, but taps you into this voice that's speaking continually. The Bible promises you and I both that the Spirit of God guides us into all truth. He will not fail you. He's always got counsel for you. He always has wisdom for you, and he's always speaking. But the problem comes when we become discontented, we become deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we're looking to these, this is the way of the world, though. They're always looking for the outer, outer things to satisfy, right? Collection of things, experiences out here. But yet, God has so much more for us, a peace that passes all understanding, a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, a power that is resident on the inside of us. And in all that hustle and bustle and noise of life, you and I can tap into that and continue to move forward in the perfect grace and perfect peace of Almighty God. i got to finish with this. Verse 13, Paul says this. Let's say it at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now here we see a real power, right? This is the real power. This is what we are living for right here because the power that Paul found was Christ in him. And with Christ in you, ladies and gentlemen, the limits are off of your life. Right? I said, with Christ in you, the limits are off. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. That's a real power. I can do all. There's nothing in this world, no situational circumstance that can limit me because Christ is in me. And through him, anything's possible. And because Christ is now the source of our contentment. He's the reason that we can be joyful in other circumstances, in not so joyous circumstances. He's the reason why we can have peace in the midst of all the trials. He is our victory. He's the substance of life. I like what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Let's, let's think about that for just a moment. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If then, since then, Jesus is the way, then there's always a way. Yeah. How many of you ever said the words, there's just no way? Now, you don't have to admit that, right? I mean, maybe just think it. Yeah. Yeah, my wife, she says it all the time, but I'm just, I'm not talking about my wife. I'm talking about, there's no way, or you've heard people say, there's just no way. There's no way. No way. No way. No way. But because he's a way, the way, there is always a way, a way out, a way through, a way over, a way up. Hmm? So if you know him, then you know all that you need to know. John chapter 14. Let's look over there for just a moment. A few more minutes. Stay with me. John 14, 2. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. That's cool, huh? 
If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Verse 4, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, Jesus just told his disciples something interesting, didn't he? You know the way. He said, where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now watch. Look, look, what, look what our friend Thomas says here. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? We don't know where. Jesus said, the where, you know where I'm going and you know the way. And, Paul, and Thomas said, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. Well, who's right? Right? But Thomas is, let's not be too hard on him. He's living this, right? We're reading it in Scripture going, what a doofus, right? But you weren't there, right? You've got your own situations, right? You've got your own thing going right now, and, and we've all found ourselves saying this kind of stuff, right? And look what Jesus says. Then he's, Jesus gives him the secret here, what he really does know. I am the way. That's how you know the way, because you know me. That's how you know the truth, because you know me. That's how you know life, because you know me. Right? Thomas is looking for direction, and Jesus is saying, I am it. I am what you're looking for. In me, you have all sufficiency. And as long as Jesus is the way, ladies and gentlemen, there is always a way. Just because you don't see the way doesn't mean there's not a way. Just because you don't know the way doesn't mean there's not a way. All you need to know is him because Jesus knows ways you don't know and he certainly sees ways you don't see. Moses and those guys didn't see a road under the sea, but God saw it. He just said, put your, put your stick out over the water and I'll show you the road that I see and it's about to be revealed to you. There is a way and if I have to part waters, if I have to, have to move the ocean itself, you are going to find the way. And as long as Jesus Christ is in you, there is a way. And he says, I'm the truth. So therefore, because Jesus is the truth, then that means you are truly free. You're truly free. That's all you need to know. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And what? The truth shall make you free. So to know him is to know the truth. To know the truth is to be set free. To be set free is to be liberated from bondage. Yeah. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then that last thought, Jesus says, I am the life. So because Jesus Christ is the life, then your life in him is utterly limitless. Because as a child of God, that's why we don't weep like others who have no hope. Knowing that when, even when we die, we really start living. That's when life really begins for us. We're not even held by the limitations of death itself. What? I go to heaven when I die? How do I lose on that? I, have a, I experience everlasting life. I know I, I, for the moment, for the first time in my life, I see him. I've known him in my heart, but now I get to see him for who he really is. You know, I have been crucified. This is what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I can do all things 
through the way, the truth, and the life who strengthens me. One last thought, one last thought. John 14, go down to verse 8. Now think about how powerful this verse of Scripture. We use this Scripture, right, to talk about the, the, the absolute necessity to believe on Jesus. If he's the way, then he has excluded all other ways to the Father. I am, no one comes to the Father but by me, right? This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we talk about Jesus and what he did because he's the hope, he's the answer for all mankind all over planet Earth. God so loved the world that he gave the world one answer. He gave the world one solution, one way, one salvation. Give the world, don't get caught up thinking, well, over there they, they have that religion and that's probably okay for them. And over there they have that And God just kind of accepts all of them. That's a lie. He does not accept all of them. God wants his son to receive the full payment for what he did. And the full payment is the harvest of the entire world. God so loves everybody that he gave everybody Jesus. Amen. So then, then verse 8, look what Philip said. We picked on Thomas for a second. Then look what Philip said. Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient. Right? Again, we're looking at it from this side thinking, what kind of harebrained thing is that to say? But he's living it here. And the word sufficient here is the very same word for contentment. If you just show us the Father, we'll be content, Jesus. Wow. You got to have more than him? Are you kidding me? You mean there's something that he's not fulfilling? Seen all these miracles, all these marvelous things? Show us the Father is sufficient. Look what Jesus says to him. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, I'm all the sufficiency that you're looking for. Be content. With me. Because with me, you get the whole package. Right? The scripture says, in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Of him and through him and for him are all things. Paul said it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And we are complete in him. Amen. Praise God. Now, now they didn't even have right there at that moment what you and I have right now. That is not Christ walking around with us, but Christ in us. A very present help, a very present presence. A right perspective, a regular practice, and a real power all found in this attitude of contentment. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your precious promises. Lord, we thank you that you have done everything for us through Jesus for us to have a better life, to, for us to experience abundant life, for us to experience victory in every circumstance, every trial, every trouble. You've not called us to a life of mediocrity, not called us to a life of failures, Lord, a life of victory, a life of overcoming. Your word says whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The spirit of a conqueror lives on the inside of us. Even as Paul said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Every challenge we face is just one more victory for us to chalk up. It's one more win, winning opportunity for us. And Father, I pray that we all here today, God, would set our minds on things above and be content with such things as we have. 
And to boldly say, God's with me no matter where I find myself. And in that I am content. Hallelujah. The greatest message that has ever come to us, the greatest thing a person could ever hear in this world, is this beautiful truth that Christ Jesus died for our sins. We're separated from him at birth. At birth, born right into sin. God wasn't looking at our actions as the problem. He was looking at our condition. So he had to fix the condition of man so that man could actually change. Because he knew man couldn't change by just trying to obey a set of laws. That only actually heightened their ability to sin. Those Ten Commandments came and they glared at people and really showed them just how ungodly they were. And God never wanted that for us, to have just a relationship with Him based on a set of rules of do's and don'ts. But really rather a changed heart. And out of that changed heart that we live from the inside out in this amazing grace. And those words that come to us today are that Christ died for your sins. God exchanged. There was a great exchange that took place. Christ became sin. He didn't become a sinner. He became sin. And he fixed the condition so that our condition could change to the condition of righteousness. So that what we did from that day forward were fruits of or actions of our righteous condition. It's an amazing thing that God did for us. There was also this curse of the law. That is, obey and get good, disobey, get cursed. But then the scripture says Christ became a curse. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. and went right down to the root of the problem so that the blessing of Abraham would come upon us. <laughs> That's interesting to me. All curses that were against us through disobedience were all stopped at that wooden cross. And every blessing continued to flow through to us. Because God is simply that good. And Jesus then became also wounded so that we could become the healed. He became poor so that we become rich. He became, because he knew we could never be like him in the state that we were in, so then he became like us. And the scripture says that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that we, sons of men, could become sons of God. Through this exchange. And the message that saves people's lives is the message that Christ died for our sins and that Christ was buried and that Christ rose from the dead three days later. And the invitation is whoever believes in him will receive everlasting life. Between you and me and God here today with every head bowed, would you say, Pastor Eric, I don't have that kind of life. I have not experienced that exchange. And I want to be saved today. I want to receive God's free gift of grace in my life. I need that new life. I want to know that when this life is over, and let me just tell you today, this life is coming to an end. 
on this earth. Everybody's going to die. But you can know that immediately when you close your eyes in death here, you'll wake up in heaven more alive than ever before. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, please pray for me. I want that in my life. I want that exchange. Are you here? Just raise your hand. I'll pray for you right where you are. Amen. Or maybe you're here today and you, you are a Christian. You have surrendered your heart to Christ, but you have found yourself discontented. You've been looking for sufficiency in other things and temporary circumstances and relationships, somebody else, some other way other than what is already inside of you. And you kind of relate to the prodigal son. You've strayed from your dad's house, from his resources, from his provision. And today you say, I'm coming back to the father's house. Pastor Eric, pray for me. I'm coming back home to God. I'm changing my mind today. Are you here today? Let me pray for you. Let me raise your hand where you are. Just coming back to God. Thank you. Father, thank you for these who have raised their hands. I thank you, God, for your blessing and grace to be upon them even now. Lord, we thank you. You always have your arms open to us. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And Lord, as they are here today repenting and changing their minds, I thank you that you change hearts. Let your grace be multiplied to them even now so that from this day forward, it's a new day, it's a new start. It's a new reality, God. Father, I thank you for your blessing upon everyone that's in this room today, that your grace and peace would truly be multiplied to them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. Come stand together this morning. Thank you all for being here. And I know we went a little long today, had a lot of things on our plate. Love you very much. Pastor Brandon is going to come and dismiss you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.